Today I'm talking to Brian Ayer. I have to tell you in the introduction, because he won't even let me mention his success when he's around, that in 2016, as an individual agent, he closed more volume and transactions than any agent in Silicon Valley. And in the last five years and counting, he has closed more transactions in Silicon Valley, again, than any other agent. Today, we talk about how to leverage your resources to explode your business. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast is to share knowledge for realtors and raise awareness for Give Back Homes, where real estate professionals work together for social good. Jet Centers Aviation, Bentley Atlanta, Legends Global, thank you for your sponsorship. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Today, we are so excited because we have Brian Ayer. Um, he is with Sotheby's International Realty in Silicon Valley. Brian, thank you for being on the show and for your time today. Thanks, Jerry. So good to see you, and thanks for having me on the show. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm in Silicon Valley, which is uh, just south of San Francisco. It's about 30 minutes south of San Francisco. Um, working in the Valley, and I, what else? <laughs> That's, well, how about this? Tell us your story. How were you crazy enough to get into this business and become an agent? Crazy is right. Uh, so my background is in actually logistics. I used to uh, manage a logistics company in LA, and uh, it was basically problem solving all day long. And it's essentially what we do as uh, real estate agents here. So back that's there, right. I was yeah. customer service, sales, problem solving, and management. And I'm like, that's what I do on a daily basis here. So, so what was it that made the transition? That you what tra was what was the life? Was it was it you just wanted to do something different, or what what led to the decision to get out of that and come into this? Yeah, completely something different. So I, like I said, I was living in LA at the time. I moved up here. Uh, changed jobs completely, took a little bit of time off, um, and then uh, fell into real estate almost by accident, which is what you hear a lot of people, but it was uh, it was a good transition for sure, which is really funny because one of my sales girls back in LA told me, hey, you should be a real estate agent, and I said, I would never do that. <laughs> I <laughs> seriously out, have I the same story. People used to tell me all the time, you should be a real estate agent. I was like, not one of those people. I, that's not what me. I said, I would never do that. So, never, uh, I am not that person. And here we are. I got up here and I started working with an agent. And I was like, I can do your job better than you do. And uh, yeah, anyway. So and so, and then you did. I, Most I people say that and they don't, by the way, yeah. as you know. Because they all think it's easy. They think, oh, you drive some people around, look at houses, and it's it's pleasant. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not easy at all. <laughs> I love quoting Jason O'Neill all the time, but it's so relevant. We're dealing with people's, any wise person will tell you, never deal or bother with other people's home, money, or family. That's exactly what we're being hired to engage in over and over and over. Exactly. Definition for drama. So right. we are problem solvers and emotion diffusers. That's right. And that's the biggest thing that I say all the time is you have to take the drama out of it because you're dealing with their houses, their family, and their money. And there's all this emotion that's tied up in it. And agents, realistically, they create their own problems or they take the problem and they amplify it. And I always say, first and foremost, take the emotion out of it because you have to be the same rational person for these clients. Well, when people are emotional, they can't think clearly. So that's what we're there for, to help them think clearly and help them to diffuse the emotion so that they can. Um, that being said, being a top real estate agent, 
how are, you know, we're in such a competitive industry. How is it that you are able to win business and have a competitive edge and be one of the top agents in, in such a competitive business? Uh, a lot of it's the logistics. I mean, it's managing the problems, but it's also uh, managing preparation for the houses and preparation for marketing and things like that. Uh, a lot of the sales here, you know, the average sales time here is about a week or 10 days. It's pretty wow. quick. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to be ready in advance. And, and what's your average sales price? You're in, uh, in your, your, what's your, what, in Silicon Valley, what's the average sales price? Uh, it depends on the county. It depends on the city, but it's somewhere in the mid twos, roughly. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's in, in Atlanta. That's, that's closer to the top of our market. Um, yeah, it, I mean, there's a bulk of sales that bring it down quite a bit. So, you know, probably around two or so, I'd say. Wow. You might, so you're talking about on so a two million dollar house takes if your statistics are if the average sales price and average days on market line up you're talking about two million dollar house sells in about a week. Uh, pretty much anything under three million sells in about a week, but it, a lot of it depends on the pricing, uh, agent presentation, and the preparation you do as well because everybody wants turnkey right now. So if you go in advance and you prepare the home, right, uh, turnkey, so they can just bring their clothes and move in. It sells immediately right away, and here's the so other. That's the key. Okay. Yeah, the other interesting thing is the days on market would actually be shorter, except we all hold offers, and so we say we're not looking at any offers until day eight of the listing, uh, and then you get collect all the offers together, you present them to the seller, and they choose one, uh, and that's why our days on market is actually uh, higher than it would be normally. So how do you? I'm going to ask you more about that, but before we get there, I also I want to know. So you say, well, I stand out above the competition because I have this great listing process and all this great stuff I do, but you've got to make sure that your customer, you get in front of your customer who becomes your client, and make sure that they know that that's what you do. How did you do that in the beginning, and how do you continue to do that now? Uh, in the beginning, it was a little bit more challenging because I moved up here and I didn't know anybody. I'd never even been to Silicon Valley. Pretty much had to look at a map to figure out where it was. Uh, so I had to learn the areas, learn the neighborhoods, and also expand my network as quickly as possible to start meeting people. Uh, now it's a little bit easier because we host open houses for our listings. And so I have a full-time licensed assistant who also hosts some of my open houses for me. And when people come through the open house, we explain to them what we did to prepare the home for sale. Uh, one of the houses I sold, they can't they, they watch the transformation. We did it in about, I think we did it in 12 days and it was a full makeover of the house. I mean, extensive remodel, uh, so much so that the neighbors came through and they said, oh my God, I thought that house was abandoned. So, so when you do that, is that something, is that typical in your market or is that something very specific to you? Um, it depends, it depends on the agent. It's typical that you do some prep work, but the amount that I do and some of the people in my company, uh, we do it a lot more extensively than most agents around here. So walk us through that. Walk us through, you see so you, you you win the listing, they hire you. How do you get, how do you get started? And how do well, you set expectations and how much involvement does the seller have in that process? Well, let's back up just one second. So yeah. it's actually for the listing presentation. So um, they, you know, most of the sellers right now, they interview, I don't know, at least one, the ones that I've interviewed for is four to seven agents, every listing presentation. And so you go in there and a lot of the time I'm at the end, um, I don't really care what order I'm in, it doesn't really make a difference because I stand out because of what I do. Uh, and so a lot of them, one of them called me and said, hey, I've already interviewed four people. I've already picked one, but I figured why not bring it up there? And I went in there, got the listing signed right away. And so I just explained to them, I said, hey, the, the biggest way you can um, benefit this move is just to get out of the house. 
Uh, one of them called me and said, I, I want you to put my house on the market in 10 days. I said, perfect, how quickly can you get out? And he looked at me like I was crazy, and he said, I'll move on Saturday. I was like, perfect. So he moved over the weekend, gave me the keys on Monday, and then had his house on the market the following Friday. That was with marketing, with photos, refinished all the hardwood floors, painted, landscaped, I mean, top to bottom, complete renovation of the house. So who, so who, do you fund that, or does your seller fund that? I don't fund it. No, the sellers always do. And so okay. what I'll do, I'll meet with them, and I give them the price. Your house in its current state right now would sell for approximately this. So of course, there's always a range. But I, I say, okay, and so by doing a whole laundry list of items that I'll detail for you, you'll put in X amount of money, and I can guarantee you're going to get at least three times the return back on that. But my average is usually more like six or sevenfold. Uh, and when they look at these numbers, these are huge numbers. Uh, they, there's no reason why they wouldn't say, sure, let's give it a shot and try it. Uh, so, I mean, frankly, I charge more for commission, which pays me to do all this work. Uh, I have a, an assistant who manages the whole project. So once the listing's signed, I go through and I give them an a la carte list that says, here are all the things I'd recommend doing in order to get your house on the market. Uh, go through the list and tell me which ones you'd want to do. Uh, all but one time, they approve the entire list. Uh, then we go, we get bids, or, sorry, we get bids before that. They approve the entire list, and then my assistant goes and manages the whole project. We have all the vendors that we work with all, all the time. Uh, most of my vendors, I can call them up and say, hey, I need you to come tomorrow and start tomorrow. They rearrange their schedules. They get me on schedule because we give them tons of projects for them. Wow, and they want to stay on your list. And that's yeah. a huge thats a huge benefit of having an agent and being an agent and having you as an agent is you've got leverage with vendors that they just don't. They're going to get right. on the waiting list. And that's the thing. I always say you have to stay in contact with people and be a resource for them. Uh, so I have clients who call me year after year after year and they say, hey, I need a roofer, I need a gardener, I need whatever. I'm sure you have the same in your market. But being that resource, they always come back to me. And funny, I, um, I just moved recently, about six months ago, and I moved up to San Francisco temporarily, um, and I, I didn't know where, who, who's the dry cleaner, who's the landscaper. You know, all these things that I take for granted with my clients, I was back in that situation, which just you know, emphasizes you need to be that resource for And everybody. how valuable that is, especially when you, you, we take for granted our resources. Of course. And so in San Francisco, I represented myself because I sometimes sell a little bit up there as well. I represented myself, so I didn't have the agent to go to and say, who should I use? Who should I call? And I, now I value that even more. And that's one thing, just to say in front of clients, you're constantly that resource for them. And I, I let them know years to come. And they always apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry to call you and ask you for a painter. I'm like, this is what I do. Exactly. And if you want me to come and give your color consult, I'll do that as well. And they're like, no. Would you really? I'm like, of course. Like, I love doing this. And then, of course, every time somebody says, I love your house color, they're going to say, great. My agent, Brian, picked out the color. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. I, I actually, I have someone, I'll say, well, this is about what color you're going to use, but we're going to call Kelly, my stager, and she's yeah. going to tell us exactly what to use. Yeah. We, and I and just, that's where we all have our strengths. I know I'm yeah. okay at that, but I've got somebody who's really good at that. But you're already good at that. And you leverage uh, that. I, I've gotten better at it. Uh, I'm pretty good at it. I used to call my stager and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. And they would choose them. And now I just, I have a pretty good eye for color and, and design. I actually just remodeled my house in Silicon Valley. We just finished construction. I just got the biggest compliment. My One of my neighbors walked by. I hadn't seen her in a while. And she's like, your house is amazing. She's like, I love what awesome. you've done. Are you yeah. an architect? And I said, absolutely not. I'm a real estate agent. Gave her my card. She's like, I'm going to tell everybody I know <laughs> to call you because you're so good at this. I said, okay. That's awesome. Biggest yeah. compliment. Yeah, well, it's huge. <laughs> so, so back to 
so back to going, getting the word out, getting your, your competitive edge. You found a way, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of restate this in brief, is a great way to do it is, you know, in the, in, now you do open houses, you meet people, they're in for conversation, you let them know everything that's been done to the house because it also helps present the value of how turnkey it is and how ready it is to, for people to move into that. Um, and that usually, you tell me, but that usually piques their interest that you're doing so much for these listings before they go on the market? Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's just a conversation of what we've done. Half the time they've seen the house before from the outside, maybe not from the inside, or if they were friends with the seller, they, they saw it and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what a transformation this is. And so wow. it's an initial conversation. Well, we've done a referral and we've, your client was so excited because you were going to stage their house. And I'll be damned if you didn't sell it before you got to stage it. Yes. I loved I, it. I loved it. So because it, people love that. Well, and the reason they found me is they saw, they see all my postings on Facebook and Instagram and they said, we want you to do that to our house that you do for everything else because all of your listings are beautiful. I'm like, you know, some of my clients are hoarders. They're not beautiful. And we go in and we make them beautiful. Now, how, so, so I don't want to get too off path here, but this is relevant because yeah. a lot of our challenge in this business is when you have people who hoard or people who you know, don't understand that it's when it, when you sell it, it's not yours anymore. How do you break through that and get these guys to open up to such drastic changes in their home? It depends. I've had really good clients and they're, they're open to that. A lot of them have said, Oh, I've always wanted to remodel my house. I've always wanted a new kitchen. And so they're open to that. And a lot of time they say, I've seen what you've done. I trust you. And so they're usually not that involved in the process. They, they let me pick finishes. They let me do whatever I want. Um, I've already given them a list and I've given them a budget so they know what they're spending. Uh, but a lot of times they don't do it is because they have the paralysis of just where do I start? How much is it going to cost and who do I hire? And who do you hire is the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've run into a lot of people, they, they're doing construction for two years, they're not done yet. And they're like, the contractors keep quitting. I just have the wrong guy. Uh, and I'm like, hey, let me get my guy in here and we finish it up in weeks. And they're like, how have you done that? So, and how did you, how did you get started in, in that niche? How did you, how did that catch on for you? Is it just something you've always been good at it and done? And it, how did that evolve? Um, it's building. So, um, it's a very good question. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, we started, I started in real estate and I started in the bottom of the market in 2010 here. So I've only been in business about mm. and a half Yeah. And, um, you know, you start by presenting the homes. My very first listing, this lady had a Pepto-Bismol pink dining room and the ceiling was painted too and it wasn't selling. Oh, was wow. And she said, why isn't my house selling? And I said, well, first we have to paint this pink uh, uh, dining room. Pepto-Bismol dining room. She had no idea. And so it just started with like a little bit. She wouldn't move out, she wouldn't stage, but we did a little bit of work on that one and then it just kept growing and growing and then eventually I mean, the last one I did, it was top to bottom, including a brand new roof, new windows, uh, and we, we got it on the market, and I made up four times the return on that. Wow, that's impressive. And, yeah. well, and, now, and here's, and I don't want to get too off track, but I do think it's relevant, because I think about Atlanta, markets like Atlanta, where we, that's not typical at all to do those kind of transformations and get that kind of return. Um, <clears throat> staging, painting, we do a lot of that. It does depend on the house, but... Um, you know, in your market, it sounds like it's pretty typical that you can put that into a house and really get four times the return on it. So are there a lot of agents that do, do what you do, or is that something that you do specifically, and is it even kind of your niche? 
Uh, it is a niche for sure. Uh, there's a lot of agents that do it, but it's a different extent as well. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them do extensive. Uh, a couple do more than I do, but basically, I go in and I talk to the sellers, and I'm like, I'm not going to spend your money. I'm going to tell you how to spend it wisely. And so, I, you know, a lot of the time they say, oh, I, I need brand new kitchen cabinets, and I'm like, you don't need kitchen cabinets. You need to paint them because they're in good shape. And so we actually whittle it down. We give them good advice as to how to maximize what they're putting into the house, and it makes it makes a lot of sense to them. And you know, looking at the numbers, and I get one client, uh, he's in finance, high level accountant, he's a VP, and he wanted specific examples. So I gave him a spreadsheet. I said, here, here are three houses that I've done. Here's what we put into it. Here's the return. Here's the before pricing. Here's the after pricing. And he said, it's a no brainer. They interviewed eleven agents on that one. 11 agents. Wow. Finally, I gave him the spreadsheet. He's like, absolutely, please go ahead and do it. <laughs> wow. So that's so going into that on pricing, um, we've talked in the past about having the conversation of pricing with our clients and how, so walk us through your market a little bit. So typically, houses are on the market, you told us, for seven days. Usually, you know, anything under $3 million is going to sell in seven days. And how often do, are there listings that go on the market and never sell? Um, and, and how common is it that something goes on the market and doesn't sell? Yeah, in this market, it's rare that something comes on the market that doesn't sell. It's either it's poorly presented, uh, there's an issue with the seller, like they have unrealistic expectations, or um, it's overpriced. I mean, that's even in this market, if you overprice something, it's it's the death to the listing. Uh, but somebody else will pick up the listing, it'll go back on the market, they'll price it correctly, and it will sell. And usually it sells pretty close to where they had it listed initially. Uh, there's just a lot of strategy in pricing. So that's important. Is that is that you put it on the market at in, in you put it on the market at a price. It doesn't sell. You lower the price, and then the house sells for what it was initially listed for. Sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah. But that's, you don't want to do that. That's you don't huge. Anyway, you want to price it correctly the first time, and that's the explanation. Of this, you know, the discussion with the seller is just saying, hey, there's different pricing strategies. Each one is going to take a different amount of time and it's going to produce a different result. Which one do you want? And so I gave them the options in the beginning. It's fully their choice, you know, and then as we talked about earlier, repeat it back to them. You know, this is the option you've chosen. This is the uh, expected outcome. uh, And this is the duration that we're going to have the listing active. And are you good with this? And they all said, yes. I mean, there's one instance where they wanted to start higher against my advice. Uh, We still got the price that they wanted, but it was on the market. For 21 days, and you know, Which, and, in Atlanta, just for the record, that's not long. Yeah, well, but yeah. in your market, that's perfect. And she came to me and said, "Why, why don't we have an offer yet?" And I said, "Remember the pricing discussion that we had. You know, I told you it'd be between 18 and 24 days. Uh, today's day 18. I'm still within that range. And then on day 21, we actually got an offer that was above where I told it would sell. So it it worked. Um, but again, I repeated it back to her, and she said, "You're right." We did have that conversation. You are within the range. She completely understands it. So it's just setting expectations with them. That's great. So do you, so when you interview, I know you've had examples of, um, you know, you've gone into a listing presentation and everybody's given the same price and you gave a higher price. I, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but give us a great story on, and I want to go both ways with this, but in one where you actually priced over the agents and you were right, how did you know you were right? And I think I know the answer to that, but I want you to elaborate on that. And then how did you, you have had a listing that they called you and said, 
we've chosen another agent and you had the conversation with them. And this isn't a sales pitch. This is a communication thing on, wait a minute, you were able to communicate with them and they did hire you and they were, they made like, I think it was like a quarter, like three quarters of a million dollars and they would have on the transaction. Yeah. And so <clears throat> none of this is a sales pitch. Like exactly. nobody wants to be sold to. Exactly. It's all discussion and it's a conversation and that's how I go in there. And, you know, they already have the materials, you're talking about it, and then you're answering questions. That's it. It's a discussion of how I'm going to achieve what you want me to achieve. That's it. Uh, so I don't sell to people first. And there was this one listing, as we talked about before, um, they interviewed four agents. And, you know, they were all the top agents in the market. And then, you know, me, who I'm newer, but I'm still close to the top um, at the time. And now I am at the top. <laughs> but uh, they... Um, they interviewed all the agents. All the agents came in with, you know, prices that were about two and a half million was the highest. Uh, most of them were like between two, two and two, four. And I went in and said two, eight all day long. And they said, how on earth can you justify that? And I said, well, we're looking at, you're, you're looking at similar sales. First of all, there hasn't been a sale in your neighborhood in the last two years. So you're looking at old data. Uh, and second of all, other, you know, agents were pulling from other neighborhoods, which weren't quite as nice and whatnot. So I said, look, your neighborhood, is, it's special. It's a very unique, special neighborhood uh, that everybody wants to get into. The reason why the prices haven't gone up is because there have been no sales. I said, so you can't look at comps. You have, what you have to look at is you have to look at the trajectory of the market, and the market's going up here. So this is the price that a buyer is going to pay for your house. And so everybody, you know, the, most of the agents were about 2.2 two to 2.4. Mm -hmm. I went in and said 2.8, and they said, no way, no way. They actually they, they told another agent they were going to hire him. They called me and said, We've decided on another agent. I said, why would you do that? Uh, I said, did you sign the listing? They said, no. I said, okay, great. Let's let's have this conversation again. We talked about it again. They said, great, let's try it. We'll see. Sold it in one day, full price for $2.8 wow. which is a good $300,000, $400,000 more than the other agent said they could get. Uh, and I said, hey. And they said, how did you know that? And I said, I just know what buyers are willing to pay in this neighborhood. And I knew that your house would fall within that. We found the right buyer. And that's most of the time, it's just finding the right person. Um, right. Unique houses, challenge houses, depending on what it is, it's just finding the right buyer. And we and found so, the right buyer in one day. <laughs> and, and, and I would t say, you know, in houses like that, it's, you tell me, but I, when, I, when I hear that, I think about houses I've had that were unique and different. And the way that I sold them was I, I put a spin on it. Or, and I say spin, I mean, I mean that, that sounds manipulative, but you, you, there's a story behind it. Like this house is different. Often in our business, unique means ugly. <laughs> but right. understanding that this house is special because you have an opportunity in this house that you don't have in the others. And presenting right. it as an opportunity. I have a house with a, and I, I went, but you tell, I mean, like we, I had one, we, it was an addition, but you had to go outside to get into the addition. Like they had put this den off the back, but you, it was open to the patio, but not the rest of the house. And people were like, like, I'm going to have to finish out like a whole nother room to make this whole house connect. And this is ridiculous. And I said, no, 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 no. This is how you want it because he can stay home ladies and have his wings and drink his beer. And you know where he is or your children and you can stay at home and be at peace and never even know he's there. And we did a whole video with a punchline and, but it literally, and I'd had a showing in the showing they were starting to talk about renovations and I stopped them in their tracks and said, wait a minute, that's the whole reason why they built it this way. It's different. I didn't say this, but it was, it was, I didn't say the it's different part, but it's different, but that's, this isn't different. This is special. This is awesome. This is a feature. 
Um, but it's that's, and, uh, yeah, but I want to, this interview is not with Jerry, but I'm relating to what you're saying, but, yeah, or maybe it is. <laughs> it's totally though. I mean, right, but yeah, how do you do, or give us some examples of, yeah. Well, I'd say on every, I, I fall in love with every listing I have, and that's how you sell it, is that you fall in love with the house. I mean, even if it's the, the worst dog of a house. Uh, that was I, great. Say that again, actually, because that is like the most powerful thing for real estate agents to understand about falling in love with every listing you have? I do, I truly, I spend time at the house. And usually I have to get the sellers out. If they're living there, I spend time by myself or- Yeah, we haven't talked about how you do that yet. I wanna know that one too, but go ahead. But go ahead about falling in love with the house. <clears throat> and time in the house. And you get a sense of why it's been built that way, all the great features of it, and you fall in love with the house. And that's going to enable you to pitch it to the next buyer and help them to understand why there's a quirky addition in the backyard where we have to go outside. Because you fell in love that you're like, okay, this totally makes sense. And then you do the pitch to the buyer and you say, this is what it is. Um, and I do that. I, I literally fall in love with every house that I sell, uh, which, you know, I've had a lot of heartbreak, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sells. just kidding. It sells. No, but, then, anyway. Um, but it works. Yeah. Okay. So that, no, that's awesome. So tell us, too, about, um, you know, there's the one conversation that is fun to have when you realize and you see everybody's saying this house is only worth X much. And you're like, I love that one. I've, I've had one recently where everybody thought this house was worth a hundred grand less than what I saw it was worth. And we were able to generate multiple offers and all the agents were like, no, 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 no. You're $200,000 overpriced. Actually, I've had one that people were told I was, I was half a million dollars overpriced on a two and a half million dollar property. And we sold it for almost asking because it's understanding your market and knowing what people value and where the value is. There can be houses that look great on paper, but they're not what buyers want. And there are houses that don't look great in paper, but when you understand what that product is and what people value, it sells for more money. But then we have the less fun part of our job where it, you know, the house, the seller thinks it's worth this, they want it to be worth this, but we know that we're doing a disservice and we've got to communicate in a way that they understand before they shoot themselves in the foot, what the real value is. How do you have, give us some, how do you have those conversations with people? And maybe you're so good at it, it you're like, where's the challenge in that? But go for it anyway. No, no, nobody's that good. <clears throat> you're pretty no, good. I, with, you're pretty good with being candid with people. It's, it's practice all the time. But I, I actually have a pretty good story about that. And one house, um, it's a listing we went on. We sat through the listing. Uh, discussion because it it's a discussion, not a presentation. And you know, the seller. I said, yeah, say that again too. Don't lose your story. But it's a listing discussion. It's a discussion. <laughs> listing presentation was made up by realtors, and nobody knows what that is but us. And when we get that in our head, it ruins it. All Who right. likes to be presented to? Nobody. Likes nobody. That. Nobody. Yeah. So okay, anyway. so it, it's your discussion. I was at my discussion with the sellers, and I came up with a price before we went to the meeting. Um, you know, which it was a high price. It was a big price. It was uh, we were still about six hundred thousand dollars over the last historical sale in town. Uh, and I went in and I said, "It's a very special, unique house. I think we can get this number." I didn't. I never share my number first. I always let the seller start, and they started. Uh, and the number that they spit out was additionally five hundred thousand dollars higher than my number, which was a high number. And you know, I thought about it, and I was like, "You know what? I can do this. I can definitely do this." Um, and again, it was modern construction. Uh, it was a very unique property, good size, views, everything. I mean, it was the full package. And I said, you know what? I think I can do this. Uh, so I, I said, hey, 
the price that you want is still a little bit high. We can get a, we can, we'll well, try 1. to get. It was 1.1 million over the last sale, right? Yeah, this one. If I did my numbers right. Five and a half million dollar sale. They wanted five seven, and I was like, okay, I think I can do five five. Uh, you know, comps, if you're looking at comps, which I, I look at them for guidance, but then you always just figure out what somebody's, somebody's going to pay for it. Said it should have been about four and a half to five max, maybe four to eight. Um, anyway, I said, look, I think we can get five five. I don't think we can get five seven. And I showed it uh, three times, and the third, this was off market, never hit the MLS, very quiet sale, three times, and the third buyer bought it. Um, so the third buyer was actually, um, it's, it's a tech person, uh, mid thirties, uh, for five and a half million dollars, um, overweight. And we, we, so it was a very vertical house. It's actually four stories tall with an elevator and about, you know, 175 steps to get up to the top floor. And I was thinking, oh dear, this guy's overweight. He's, there's no way he's going to buy this house. Um, we go, we take the elevator up. First we get in the elevator, the elevator drops about a foot. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to take the stairs. I'll meet you at the top. So I meet him at the top. I'm walking through the house. I'm touring the house. And I always love showing my listings because, again, I've fallen in love with it. I can convey that to the buyer. Uh, so I'm showing him the listing. We go through the whole house. We get out to the master balcony deck. And there's the pavers that are on a grid for drainage on the balcony. He walks out to the balcony, and he busts through one of the pavers. Broke oh, no. And I, I said, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And it was going okay until, you know, the elevator and then the paver and everything else. Um, and this so guy bought the house. He bought the house. And I was thinking, you know, I, we went in the other room and I texted my partner. I said, there's, there's no way this guy's buying the house. I mean, after the elevator and busting through the paver, and he was mortified. I mean, whatever. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. buying the house. But anyway, so the record highest sell is 4.4 million in that city, in the history of that city. And one of my colleagues at Sotheby's sold that house for 4.4 and is panicking about the value. And then I sold this and she said, oh, never mind, we're fine. But, you know, historically, it was a million dollars over the last historical sale. But I knew that, you know, some young tech person was going to fall in love with it and buy the house, you know, as I fell in love with the house when we were right. showing it. So. So, so maybe you guys don't have this problem in your market, but I want to know the other side of where of where the seller wants to sell it for six million and it's just not gonna sell for six million. The house yeah. is gonna sell for five million dollars. How oh. do you you know, is that where you refuse the business? Is there a conversation you've had to bring them or, or and you may be in a market where that doesn't happen? No, it happens all the time. Uh, especially the, the higher price points. I mean this one we didn't get what she wanted, but we were pretty darn close. Um, it happens all the time and it, as the prices creep up, sellers want more and very often they say, Yeah, um, I, I want this number, and you think, oh, there's no way in hell. Uh, heck. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's happened. a podcast. It's not the radio. You can cuss. Yeah. Um, we just went on a presentation, and, uh, you know, I, I went with one of my colleagues, and we went into the presentation. It was my area of expertise. I said, look, this house is like 14. Maybe we could get 15 out of it. And the seller said 20. And I said, there's no way. There's no way. And basically, we exited the interview. We didn't get the listing. It's on the market for 20 right now, and it's not selling. And I, you know, that's exactly what we, we said. Wow. So sometimes it's okay to walk away from business, and if you can be the second or third agent, it's all wise. Exactly. Because then you know they're going to what we said. We had our pricing on that one. Um, it's better to take to not take an overpriced listing than it is to, um, you know, sit there and suffer and you're paying for the marketing and being your head against it, and then the calls with the sellers and whatnot. So. I mean, there's a lot of unrealistic sellers, but uh, fortunately, I've had great clients. They always listen to my guidance, 
and you know things. things it it sounds like your formula is take the sellers who are reasonable, take the sellers who are going to take your advice, and you know it's. We had an interview with Jack Cotton, and he said, you know, I go into a listing and I say, I say, you know, he doesn't say this out loud, but he he has in his mind, why should I take your listing? I'm going to spend money. I'm going to do a lot of stuff. Or he goes, well, I'm not going to do it, but Maureen's going to do it. But there's a lot of work and hours and time of work that is going to be put into this listing. So I come into a listing appointment with the frame of mind of why, of asking myself, why am I going to take this listing? Or why am I going to take your listing? Yeah. And why am I going to take your listing? Why am I going to take your listing? And if it presents to itself that it's a listing with a seller who's reasonable, that's going to sell, that is a nice person that he wants to work with, and that wants to work with him, he's going to take it. And if it's not, he's not. That's right. Um, and it's one step away from it. I mean, I've been very fortunate. The majority, about 90% of my business is by referral. Um, most of it's past client referral uh, or past client sales. And then, you know, about 30% is within the network, within the Sotheby's International Realty Network, uh, which is terrific, by the way. Which is uh, huge. Which huge. We've got a but, lot of interviews about or tapping into our business is, I've had clients even tell me, they thought I was in a cutthroat business, and I thought, are you kidding me? If that's what you want to make it, but no. Right. You've yeah. got some of the most happy, ADD, no kidding, not really, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> happy, generous, hardworking, go-getters, and creative people and smart people that make it happen, the ones that are successful. And where else can you, I mean, where else can, I, you know, in the recession, there were a few times where I questioned what I did. And I mean, maybe maybe more than half the reason why I didn't was because it was like, where am I going to be? Where am I going to find people like this in my life? That's I mean, right, it's just, yeah. it's a business of amazing, amazing well, people. Nurture that as well. You need to have those connections, uh, especially within the agent community. And that was when I moved here and I didn't know a single person, I introduced myself on broker tour to every single agent I saw. And they're like, who's this guy? Like, who are you? My very first listing in Menlo Park, um, you know, everybody along the way was like, oh, you could never get a listing that big, and I did. And then one of the local agents came up to me and was like, what are you doing selling in my neighborhood? Who are you? Where did you I remember from? that happening to me. I love it. Of course. And I, I love said, it. Hey, this is I am, and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I sold the house, and I actually became good friends with her as well. But a lot of it, just putting yourself out there, introducing it, having the relationships, and that's the other thing is that those relationships are going to help you get your buyers in the contract as well. Uh, exactly. And so people are like, why are you networking? Why are you talking to all these agents? And it's because these relationships are going to make or break your business. I mean, how many conversations have I had where agents really want to make the deal work because they want to, they know if we go under contract, we'll make it happen. Yeah, exactly. And I just had that as well. It was like a multiple offer situation. Especially in your market where multiple offers are so common. Oh yeah, there's a house that just sold that 17 offers on it. And it's like, how do you distinguish yourself on that? And a lot of it's just relationships and they want to know that somebody's going to close a deal. They're looking out for their sellers in the best possible way. And there's an agent that does good business that always closes, that's responsive, that answers their phone. And that's the biggest thing I tell to all the agents that I ever, they're like, oh, what's the, what's the best piece of advice you have? I'm like, answer your phone. Always, <laughs> yes. Always. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So how do you do, how, so another question is being a busy agent, how do you make yourself available? For example, you're in showings, you're with clients, you're doing things. How do you, or what has your, been your best way to balance and leverage attending to clients and also attending to the phone and the text and the emails 
all in one so everybody, you know, to the best of your ability feels like you're their only you're you're their only client. I mean they're your they're your only client. That's right. And I want every single one of my clients to think that they are my only client. Um, and it's hard to do. I mean when you're out there and doing showings or, you know, prepping houses or meeting with sellers or whatever, the whole business, it takes a lot of time for you. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I tell every single one of my sellers, I say, Hey, if it's a long question, send me an email. I said if it's short question, send me a text. If it's urgent, call. Um, I said, but a lot of time, you know, I'm in appointments, I can't pick up the phone. I said, so text me. And, you know, usually you can sneak a text if, you know, you're showing a house or showing on your listings, you can sneak a text and say, hey, this is the answer or I'll get back to you. I'll call you in 10 minutes, whatever exactly. it is. And they love the responsiveness. And the other thing is, you know, I, as I mentioned, I have a licensed assistant and he's my backup. And I'm like, if you, if you need something urgent, and you can't get a hold of me, call him. And he's always available as well. And so there's two of us that, you know, you can field questions and field calls. So how do you, do you, does your, what is your assistant's kind of job description? Do they do showings to open houses or is it all administrative and on the phone or what's the kind of, what's the model that you've got for your business? Uh, so he, it's interesting. He's brand new to the business um, about three years ago and he's been with me ever since. He got his license, said I want to get into it. Um, and so I set up a job description for him and I said, hey, this is what you're going to do. And basically you're going to work like a dog and I'm going to teach you everything I know and I'm available to you 24-7, which you know, starting out this business, they're like, here's your desk, good luck. Yeah. Uh, that's a great way to get started is to have full access to an agent who's actually doing a substantial amount of business. You know, I think my first year with him, you know, we were doing, I think we did like 28 transactions a year, which here it's a lot. I mean, that's, I've been number one in transactions for the last five years. And so we're hustling, wow. but it's also, yeah. yeah, it's the repetitive nature of doing so many transactions, which makes you you know, systematize everything. You have processes for everything and it makes you a lot more efficient. And so, you know, it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, I never want to do that many transactions. I'm like, it actually makes you better at what you do. And, you know, if people want to hire somebody that's doing a substantial amount rather than, you know, the agent who has one big listing per year because they forget how to do business in that last year. <laughs> exactly. Well, what you just said reminded me of, I quote this book often, um, but good to great. He talks about that doing something you can be good at something or you can be less than good, but we'll just talk about good and great. So it's, not but being, it, it's easier to be great than it is to be good. And the point of that is in, in being great, that's when you've got the processes and, and you've implemented processes, you've got systems, you've, you've streamlined, not to the point of, you know, McDonald's versus a fine restaurant, but you've, you've got a very consistent method that works and creates consistency and it fulfills your client's expectations and makes you successful. And that's where you're great. Where you're good is where you're not doing it very often. And I think that's a great point because as we become more and more successful, we also, you know, you probably have clients, or do you have clients that wonder, are you too busy for me? Do you ever have that question and how do you overcome it? Or does that, or where, where do you fit in the communication with your clients on that? Yeah, absolutely. I get that question all the time. And I, they see on social media all the listings and things, and they think, oh my gosh, there's no way. And especially on the lower price points, they're like, there's no way you'd have time for somebody who only has, you know, an $800,000 condo. I'm like, of course. And, you know, my average price point isn't that high. My average price point's a lot lower. And I do everything from, you know, two, $300,000 condos to, you know, $10 million homes. Um, and so I make time for everybody. And I always say, this is, this is how I have it set up. I will always make time for you if I'm not available. My assistant is there. Uh, you know, I don't just push them off to the assistant. I said, try me first. Uh, and then it's also trial and error. It's like, give it a shot. And if you find that I am too busy, which you won't find, 
Exactly. I'll only keep from the listing. It's not a problem whatsoever. I well, never pulled any. Yeah, and I had a recent interview with. Um, we've keep. I think we've. I've mentioned Brad Henderson a lot lately, but Brad talks about you know the understanding that you know when you're the agent that has a lot of transactions, that means you're the agent that has your hand in and on the market, and you're the agent that has their expertise and the understanding of the market and problems so that when the real problems come where you're really making your money, you can, you, you have the perspective on the market that the agent that does every little thing themselves and isn't doing a lot of deals, they don't have, they don't have that same perspective. So it's right. as you grow your business and get into that position is understanding how your clients understand that, but that doesn't mean I'm too busy, but you should use me anyway. That means understanding the value in that, but also back to what you said is the way in which you leverage on, this is how to get the best response. This is how we can, this is how you guys communicate and having a personal assistant who's a hustler and a hard worker um, behind the scenes at all times available anytime you're not to answer questions. The importance so. is communication and setting the expectation and saying, this is how to reach me. Um, you know, and very often it's finding out how it is best to reach them as well. Because, uh, you know, not everybody wants a phone call. Not everybody wants a yeah. They want to text her. And so we start every client, every new client, we say, how do you want us to communicate with you and how often? Because some people are like, once a week, by email, that's it. I'm like, okay, great. And some people are like, I want, you know, twice a day, I want a text message from you. And I'm like, okay, high maintenance, but okay. <laughs> you know but, what that makes me think? I wouldn't have finished what you're saying. Oh, oh, and so we tailor everything we do to the client. Again, right. Every, conversation I have with a seller, with a buyer, with anything, it's its not how I operate, it's how you want me to operate, and we tailor everything to that. That's perfect. I mean, who was the speaker from the Ritz-Carlton? It's the gentleman who spoke at g and &E. Oh my gosh, I don't remember his name. I actually researched him after. Fantastic. And he explained... Isaac, we've got to get his name so we can tag him on our interview. But anyway, he talks about, you know, part of the process is when they come in the front door, they assess... Is this, there's some people, they just want to know that you're there when you need it, when they need you. They don't want to be bothered. They want to check in their room. Just leave me alone. I need my privacy and to enjoy the beautiful environment. There are other people, they would love if you would take them out of the car and carry them to the reception and, and have men with fans. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but there are other people who want that attention. And you don't give somebody attention because you think that's what it's supposed to be. You figure out what they want and you create a team and a structure in which you can provide them that and, and exactly. give them and what they're looking for. So we do that, that. I mean, even on every single listing, when I show a listing, I say, Hey, I'm, I know this house inside and out. I can tell you every detail about this house. I would love to tour you around, but it's totally up to you. Do you want a fully guided tour or do you want to exactly. explore it on your own? And they're always like fully guided tour, please. And it's like, that's the opportunity you have to pitch this house, to sell it, to show them how much you love it. And that's what I like about that. But, you know, some of them, like, I'm just going to explore. I'm like, perfect. I'll just be in the other room. If you have any questions, just yell. I'm right there. Exactly. And that, that and one more story to elaborate on, and then I've got a question for you. But I don't know if you watched Shin Schultz's interview on the, on the um, show, but he talked about when he got into the business, he, you know, everybody, they want to work hard and they want to show the house and they're supposed to have a job and they're supposed to do it. And he would come in and he would do that. And I wish I could remember who the client was, but it was a big... It was a, you know, it was a big guy buying a $20, 30000000 million house in Malibu. And he said, Shen, can I offer you a piece of advice? And you know Shen pretty well, don't you? I do know Shen. I yeah. mean, Shen's like <laughs> meditates, zen, like nothing's personal. 
And she's like, yeah, sure. And he goes, I make about a billion dollars a year. I don't need some realtor telling me what to do I don't like. I need you to not speak and have the answers to my questions when I have them. And Shin says, gotcha. He said, I took the advice. He bought the house. It changed my business. It literally, not that he went to listings and didn't speak, but he was, he attuned himself to what is the client really want and looking for. It's not about me and what I'm doing. It's about backing off, figuring out what they want and, and, and delivering on that level. It's not about being, you know, I've been, you've been in the showings where the agent's down your back and you're just like, really, I can't see the house because you won't go away and figuring that's out right. if that's who that buyer is. A lot of the time it's just the agent wants to put on the show. And half the time, like I said, the agents get in their, their own way and they create the problems. And it's the funniest thing. I mean, back when I was just starting my career, I walked into this house and it was the most ornate, horrible, in my opinion, marble house with marble this and marble that. And it was awful. I, I was walked in with the clients. Uh, they were foreign buyers. And I said, oh, my gosh, this house. And they said, it's beautiful. And I was about to say, could be remodeled. We could take care of this. Oh. We love it. And they bought that house. And I was like, okay, that's what I learned a long time ago. Stop talking. Thank <laughs> you. Like, they, because... I have been in so many showings on the other side of the table, even as a listing agent, where the buyer agent comes through and and just starts nitpicking. And I just kind of step in and start telling stories or divert because you don't know, like your client, don't peer pressure them into what you like. It's about what our focus as realtors is. What does your client want? And let's, you know, in their best interest. That's right. Yeah. I don't help them get what they want. And, what I they love. and the, the buyer's agent was late to the show, which I love because buyer's agents are always late. So yeah. I get to show yeah. the house. I love it. And so get I to know the, them and engage and make it happen. It's the best. Yeah. So I met the buyers. We go through the whole house. We're showing the house. Basically sold it. Like the contract was just about signed. And then the buyer's agent shows up and it's like, oh, but did you see the kitchen? Oh, and it's this. And then all of a sudden, all of her opinions. And they were like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't buy this house. Anyway, they came back through what for another show. What a great showing. lesson. Yeah. yeah. And she ruined the sale. She blew the sale. But it turns out that they ended up buying the house. They called back later. They're like, let's see it one more time. And they're like, this really does work for me. And, but she, again, almost blew the sale. Because I've had that she, happen with buyer agents. And we, you bring it around as a listing agent. But yeah. it, it's, it's funny how um, we all, it's a lesson to all of us are, us as agents, where it's like, let's watch ourselves. It's not about us. It's about them. It's about them, exactly. And it's the same thing with the sellers. It's the same thing with the buyers. It's not about you, and it's not about what a great agent you are. It's about you doing the best for them and getting them what they want. And, and I'm going to I'm gonna totally go Shen on you now because that's what I love about this business. Shen's yeah. going to appreciate this interview, I hope. But it's, yeah. it's also about, it's also, a, you know, it's the same thing in life. I love that about this business. This business is so challenging, but the same lessons you learn in this business are the lessons in life. It's not always about you. And you can, right. there's so much peace to be found in that. Just saying. Um, tell us what is a book. If there's one book you would recommend, what is it? Uh, so I knew this question was coming. I've done my research on you. <laughs> You've listened a few times. So even though you yeah. didn't read the questions, no, just kidding. Anyway, which I love. I love it. Um, so there's a lot of books. I mean, I, I've started reading a lot more than I used to, and I get at least one piece of good information on every book. 
The one that I like right now is uh, Never Split the Difference. It's one of my favorite books. And I know you know this one. As you know, oh my gosh, you well, better not this, be brown nosing. <laughs> I read this before we talked. Before you, you talked it is it. brilliant. It's yeah. Brilliant. It's such a good book. Um, but again, like I said, not everything in that book is going to work for everybody, but just taking. Yes, it is. Businesses okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, I'm being so bad. Go ahead. Honestly, yeah, it's the information that you'll get from that book is far better than most people do on their own anyway. So um, the other book I really like is uh, it's called Brief. Brief. And it's just Brief. It's called, it's... Um, so I want to know first, not to totally interrupt, keep interrupting you, but I never split the difference because I, inter I did interrupt you and I want to know what you, like, what was your personal takeaway on never split the difference and then we'll talk about Brief. Um... I mean, a lot of it, one of the biggest things is listen to what isn't being said. And this is, it's come back, it comes back to our jobs all the time. Well it's said. Like, oh, I've never heard somebody put it that way. Listen to what isn't being said. Yeah. Okay, so I go on. Last piece of advice out of that book. I mean, there's a lot about negotiation. There's a lot about, you know, finding the unknown unknowns, which I love. Because it's like, not only is it what you know that you don't know, but it's what you don't know you're, you don't know. But it's, uh, anyway, it's the unknown unknowns. Yeah. But I mean, listen to what isn't being said, I think is the, the most valuable piece of that book. I love uh, it. So brief, anyway. what did you get from brief? Brief is good. It's brief is how, um, how to be a lean communicator. And it's basically, which has changed my entire way of emailing, my entire way of communicating with clients. We talked about this. Yeah. You, you condense what you're saying down into like three sentences because uh, agents go on and on and on. Again, I went on a listing, a co-list with another agent. He talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, and the seller heard none of it. My best part of this is that he yeah. sent this really long, it was like a three-page email. The last line was something critical about closing the escrow, uh, moving out, and it was the last line of this three-page email. They never saw it. And I'm like, okay, great. And so Brief is all about this. It's being a lean, uh, being a lean communicator, getting to the point um, I mean, my biggest problem with brief the book itself, it could be a little bit more brief. <laughs> well, and if we're, here's about brief. Maybe that's why he wrote it because it was his own lesson. But the thing about brief, to, I love that you brought those two books up because talking about never split the difference. Um, the book never, I haven't read brief, but I am going to be reading it. And Isaac is writing all this down to make sure I do and to make sure we share these with everybody else. But, <clears throat> right, Isaac? Got it. <laughs> Isaac loves it when I pick on him. Everybody, like everybody in the country knows Isaac because I'm always talking to Isaac on the show. But, but on that, there have been, from Never Split the Difference, there have been interactions I've had in negotiating or with clients who have gotten emotional where it would have been, human nature would have been to explain away to them. And I have stopped. I have listened to what isn't being said. And I have responded with, questions that are appropriate to what isn't being said and literally transformed them with a simple act of actively listening and asking the right question that has literally given them a complete like completely one complete 180 without ever saying a thing just asking that question and it goes back to the same thing with brief what's yeah. that so that's when you become the jedi real estate agent i love it i mean like i like if we could just go on and have and flip the interview with Jerry Metcalf today, and no, I'm kidding, but really like I have so many stories where, you know, people were getting emotional 
people were being silly and doing what we do in real estate. And I just heard it. I took it in. I assessed it, listened to what wasn't being said, understood the perspective, asked the question to give them the perspective they were looking for without trying to let them feel convinced. The minute you're convincing somebody, that puts them on the other side of the table. And the right. minute they're on the other side of the table, it's all lost. Yeah. And half the time, you know, they understand what it is. They just need to vent. And so if you listen. Exactly. You they talk themselves through it and they stop and they're like, wait, why aren't you responding? Oh, never mind. I've solved the problem. I'm like, perfect. This is what I would have said. Or, you know, you just interject and say, okay, now that you've just told me all this, here's the one sentence that's going to finish this whole thing for you, finish the whole thought. Exactly. And then this is amazing. So brief. I can't that's read it. to read brief to, to put that in with my never split the so difference. I told you about this when we met um, in, because I just saw you in uh, Austin. Yes. Uh, I told yeah. you about the obstacles the way, right? That's the other now, one. which book is this one? It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Oh, just so the title alone. I love it. My trainer it. told me about this. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in I do like, remember now. Yes. yes. Okay. And so, my trainer told me about this. And again, it, most of these books, like this could have been condensed down to a much shorter ver version of it. But, uh, you know, it's, again, it's rather than having the obstacle and finding a way around it, it's actually pushing through it. And this is one thing that I've used for years and I never realized. Um, you know, especially like um, uh, overcoming like public speaking and things that I hated to do. I always force myself to do this now. Uh, you, you don't know this about me as well, but it's I call myself an uh, extroverted introvert. And so I, as a kid, I didn't say a word. I was basically mute, didn't talk to anybody. And then I moved to Northern California and I said, oh my gosh, I can't possibly do this. I started a social happy hour group, uh, which became like a networking group. And um, forced myself to talk to people through this whole thing. We, I, my distribution list is like a thousand people on this now. And it's just basically I forced myself out of the comfort zone. And that was my obstacle. Rather than saying, okay, I can work around it. I like, went head on for it. I beat it. And now it's like I can have a conversation with anybody. So it's, it's helped me. So all of this was before the book, but it explains a whole lot, which I think is great. So That's great. Well, and when you overcome things like that, the, what it gives you, the self-awareness, the it's not only the self-awareness, but the self-confidence of what you can overcome is liberating. Absolutely. Right. Right. So, so, I love a good so we got three books and I'm usually like just one, but I kind of like all three. If yeah. there's one that you do like the best, what would it be? It's probably never split the difference. I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful. Wait, which one is it? The obstacle is the way? Never that one? Never oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So good books to read. So, our last and final question, you know what it is, but I've got to ask it anyway. What is, because we have covered a lot. If there's one thing that we need, that you would have me and everyone listening to this, this interview take away, what would you want to be sure that is? Uh, there's just so much. Uh, I don't know. Um, That's why I love this question. I know, I know. Uh, I love the answer. My, my favorite bit of advice is just be the resource to everybody. Be available. Talk to everybody. Um, be that person that they go to because you're going to maintain those relationships and they're going to keep coming back to you for years. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, help them out. Offer advice. Offer, uh, you know, like I said, I go I do like consults on design and kitchen and stuff. Like that. I don't get paid for that, but I get paid because so, they remember me. And, and you're doing things like that and you're doing, it's not like, like usually people doing things like that are doing five huge deals a year. You're doing more transactions than anyone in what is it in your market in Sotheby's or in for five in years. 
What's that? In, in the Sotheby's here. In right. Office. I mean, you're I mean, you're one of the top agents, and is it corporate or how does? I mean, you're up there. You're you don't like talking about your rankings and what a badass you are, which is ridiculous. But you are one of the top, 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 top agents in our entire company. And you're doing more transactions than anyone. And yet, you're taking the time to do color consults for people. I mean, that's, that's right. like, like, how do you balance that out? You just squeeze it in. It's like, yeah, I've got you know, one hour of time that today. And I'm like, okay, I can stop by between three and four. I'll be in between appointments. I mean, frankly... <laughs> It's terrible. Like I, I eat my lunch in my car because you know you're back to back to back appointments. Have you done that? The mobile app at Starbucks. That's what Sorry. I do. The mobile no. app. Like I, mean, I, I like live on that. I mean, I bet my Starbucks bill is higher than my grocery bill for my whole family. Which oh, right. maybe yes. my husband. He doesn't listen to this show because he, he might lose it. But not that whatever. He's a great husband, everybody. But anyway, maybe we'll edit that out. And you know we won't. But yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I, but I, you know, eat lunch with people. I do that, but there are days where you don't. It depends on, on what the day calls for and what the clients right. call for. So, That's right. Again, it's being that person and molding yourself to what they want and what they need. Yeah. So. Wow. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being I'm, on the show. Uh, it's been you. awesome having you. You're so much fun. Like, I think we covered three topics. So it'll be exciting to see. Um, That's right how we title this. This is going to be, this is going to be fun. Um, but again, thank you. You're, you're the bomb. What's that? Say, I said, we didn't even tell everybody about our run. I know. We didn't even talk about oh, our run. Yeah, everybody already it. knows the fittest guy, by the way, also the fittest guy in Silicon Valley. So yes. now what were you like? Ten, I loved it. I land in the airplane. Hey, let's go for a run. All right. I'll meet you. You've run six miles and you're like, okay, we're going to slow down now. And I'm still panting. And for the record, ask Todd Peter, he'll die if this part of this interview gets published, but he couldn't keep up with me, but I oh. couldn't keep up with you. It's great. So we have to do it again. It's alternative networking is what it is rather than like sitting in a meeting or at a conference. Well, we and we, it's the best. best. We've yeah. had some of our best conversations running because the endorphins are kicking in. You're feeling good. You're getting your workout. You're yes. seeing the city. It's awesome. You know, there's nobody around you. I mean, there's no, you block out all the noise. You're right. That you can't get your text messages. That's right. Exactly. Well, maybe anyway. sometimes. I think maybe we, sometimes we stop and check the phones, but usually we're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, it's been awesome. I always love talking to you. So. You too. All right. I'll see you soon.